General, let me ask you about three words that I know you are passionate about, and those words are duty, honor, and country. The motto, of course, at West Point, the U.S. Military Academy spends a lot of time talking and teaching lessons <laughs> about character. What is, a, what is a leader of character? I think character is everything. You know, I, I, will, I will have to confess that my, my, my character was, first of all, built by my parents. It was built at home. It started in my home, and that gave me the basic foundation uh, that I needed. Uh, then it, that it was further built in schools that I attended before I ever went to West Point. But I have to say that West Point was the one place where it all came to focus for me. It's sort of, I, tell, I teach college classes now, and I, you know, I think it's a known statistic that 70% of all the people who graduate from college never serve one day in the, in the area in which they major in college. So I tell, I tell the young men and women in college today, I say, listen, if if you leave this college with only one thing, if you leave this college with sort of a, a, a value system, an understanding of, okay, this is the path I choose to walk down in my life. You know, this is the, these, I'm going to try as best I can to live my life within these values. If you leave with only that as a result of your education, you've had a great education. And, and for some people, that path is going to be very wide. I mean, they're going to allow themselves a lot of latitude. And for some people, that path is going to be very, very narrow. And they're going to say, I'm going to walk strictly down this path. And what happens as you go through life, that path for some gets wider and for some gets narrower. But in my case, when I left West Point, uh, my value system was duty, honor, country. You know, I will do my duty with honor in the service of my country. That became my value system. It's interesting, many, many years later, I was a two-star general, and we went to one of these, these uh, touchy-feely leadership-type things where you all got around, and all these gurus got around, and, you know, and, and had you look deep inside yourself and analyze yourself, and as a result of all this, they gave us an hour and a half after we had had a week and a half of classes or something like that, to write down on a piece of paper as a result of this great week and a half you'd spent, how is it you plan to lead your life from here on out? And I sat there and I wrote, duty, honor, country, period, put my pencil down. Because that essentially had become my value system that I took out of my education with me and it was sort of the course that I chose to live my life. General, why do you feel it's important for a leader to live by his or her word? Integrity is everything. You know, people can take your wealth away from you. People can take your job away from you. People can take your home away from you. They can take your family away from you. But nobody can ever take your integrity away from you. Only you can give up your integrity. And as long as people know you're honest, they trust you. And as long as they trust you, they're willing to follow you. But if they have a reason to distrust you, then they're not going to follow you. So basically, you must maintain your integrity. You can't lie to them. You can't deceive them. You've got to tell them the truth. And if you tell them the truth, then they'll follow you. What was the most important lesson you learned at West Point? Honor, I think, more than anything else. That, that, that you know, you don't lie, cheat, or steal, or take undue advantage of, you know, of your of people by distorting the truth and that sort of thing. West Point was, was, you know, I came into West Point right after a big cheating scandal where they had wiped out the entire football team and, and you know, 90 some odd people were kicked out. 
And so in our case, with my class, they really reinforce the concept of honor, the explanation of the concept of honor. But there's another very sublime concept, again, that I learned at West Point, and that's this question of duty. You know, duty, duty really means that you have an obligation to serve something other than yourself. You, I, find, I find as I get on in life that, that, that the finest moments of my life was when I was doing something from which I was going to gain absolutely no tangible benefit whatsoever. This thing called selfless service. And that's what duty is all about. The, the, the willingness to go out and serve a cause, uh, serve something from which you may garner nothing. But, but you will garner this wonderful, wonderful satisfaction that you get from selfless service. So I think the concept of honor and the concept of duty were really two of the most important things I learned at West Point. General, now that many cadets are women, do you believe that they should be placed in combat positions? Sure. Uh, I absolutely do, within reason. Uh, I will confess to you that I, you know, a lot of my friends weren't very happy with me because I said right after the Gulf War, it doesn't make any sense to say that a, a, a woman can pilot a medevac aircraft that flies right down to the teeth of the enemy and extracts casualties out under enemy fire, but she can't man a helicopter a gunship that shoots at the enemy from 5,000 meters away. That just doesn't compute to me. It doesn't make any sense to say that a woman can fly a heavy transport in the Air Force, but, but she can't uh, fly a fighter plane. It doesn't make any sense to say that women can serve on the battlefield in artillery positions in the United States Army, but they can't serve on a Navy ship that's floating around out there in the ocean for some reason. You know, just, so, so I said that, and since then, our Congress has reinforced that. They've, in fact, struck down. You see, there used to be saying a prohibition, a legal prohibition that said women could not serve in, in combatant airplanes, okay, and women could not serve on combatant ships. Well, first of all, the Navy declared about 99% of all their ships combatants, so there was about one ship out there that women were allowed, and that solved that problem right there. But, uh, but, uh, but the Congress has struck down that law, and that's no longer the case, that women can now serve on combatant ships, and they can serve in, in the cockpit and, and combatant aircraft. Now, we've got to be reasonable about this thing. You've got to remember that the primary reason why you have an armed forces is to protect our country, and that means we have to be prepared to fight our wars. So, so we have to be careful how we go about interpreting, you know, uh, bringing women into the armed forces. Is it an equal opportunity measure, or is it what's best for the defense of our country? I, I use as an example, I say, take a ranger battalion. You know, rangers are the guys that crawl around in the mud with bayonets in their teeth and climb into the trenches and hand-to-hand -hand combat and everything else. If you took one ranger battalion that was 100% male, and you took another ranger battalion that was 50% male and 50% female based upon absolute equal opportunity within that military, and the two of them went up against each other in the trenches with knives, who would win? Some of you ladies are probably saying, well, of course the one with women and it would win, but that's not, I think that any reasonable person would say that the one that was 100% male probably has a strength advantage under those circumstances. And so I say, therefore, there is some argument for a combat exclusion. There is some argument for limiting where you put women within the military that's in the best interest of the defense of this country. And oh, by the way, we've discriminated for years based upon the, the, what's best for the defense of the country. Uh, you know, we don't let people in who are too short, we don't let people in who are too tall, we don't let people in who are too fat, we don't let people in who are too skinny, we don't let people in who are in wheelchairs. I mean, we even retire brilliant, intelligent, 
handsome general officers when they reach 35 years of service, and that's age discrimination, okay? So, but, but it's all because it's what's best for the defense of the nation. But absolutely, women were in Desert Storm. Women did a magnificent job in Desert Storm, and interestingly enough, women had it much tougher in Desert Storm than men did because they had all of the same threats, all of the same threats against their life, all of the same environmental problems and everything else, and they also had to face cultural problems that the men over there didn't have to face. And the women did a great job, great job. General, we have heard that the military is trained to kill. What are West Point graduates trained to do? That the military is trained to what? Kill. No. The military is not trained to kill. That's absolutely wrong. The military is trained to probably more than anybody else to do everything you possibly can to avoid killing because those of us who have been there know how terrible it is. I hope you clearly understand that the military does not start wars. Okay? The politicians of the world start wars. I'm not condemning politicians, but it's government that starts wars and then they send their military in to execute those wars. So the military is not trained to kill. As a matter of fact, I take great pride in the fact, and I've always said, my job in the military as an officer has always been to try and figure out how I can accomplish my mission, but accomplish it with the absolute minimum loss of human life and hopefully the minimum expenditure of resources. That really is the job of, of, of an officer in the, or any leader in the United States military. Sure, you've got to get the job done. Sure, you want to accomplish your mission but you don't accomplish it at all costs. You don't accomplish it at the cost of, of human life. You try and do it with a minimum loss of human life, just as we did in Desert Storm. General, what is West Point's long gray line? Oh, you know, West Point was, was started in 1802 and has been around consistently since then. And you had West Point graduates that of course fought in the War of 1812. They fought in the Civil War. They fought in the Mexican War. They, uh, Spanish-American War, World War I, World War II, Korea, Vietnam, uh, Grenada, uh, Panama, and now Desert Storm. And that's the long gray line. It's this concept that West Pointers have always served their country and that, that you are representing when you graduate from West Point, not just yourself, but you're representing all of those people all the way back to the very beginning of West Point who have graduated and served their country. Where's the gray come from? We all wear gray uniforms at West Point. It's cadet gray. So the long gray line applies to all of these people. And you know, it, it, it's, it's a very reassuring concept. I can tell you there were several times over there in Desert Storm when, when you sort of said, why me, Lord? You know, let somebody else do this. Why do I have to do this? Uh, you know, why do I have to make these decisions? General MacArthur gave a wonderful speech at West Point entitled Duty, Honor, Country, one, right shortly before he died. It was a magnificent speech. But one of the things he said to the cadets is, you know, is you, more than anyone, are trained to do this. This is your responsibility. And he went on to say, if you fail in your responsibility, the ghosts of the long gray line will rise up from their graves in and, and khaki and so on and so forth. I mean, it's a very, very inspirational thing. But, but that was sort of the bottom line, is, is the answer why me, Lord, was the fact that, hey, Schwarzkopf, that's what you were trained to do at West Point. That's what you have been trained to do your entire life. That's the reason why you have served in the military for as long as you have. And if you can't handle it, who's going to do it? General, that's probably a good time to ask you this question. Uh, I wonder what, what you think 
the greatest challenge is facing today's young people and how you would recommend dealing with it. My best advice to you, I guess two things I'd tell you. Number one, dare to live your dream. Your dream. Because this is a country where you can live your dream. It's something that we have in America that most other countries don't have. You will all have the opportunity to live your dream. So if, if somebody's telling you to be a brain surgeon because you make a lot of money and you want to be an artist, be an artist. At least give it a chance. So live your own dream. Now that's number one. But number two, the corollary that goes with it is this. You know, a long time ago in this country, People coin the phrase, do your own thing. I'm going to do my own thing. Okay? And that's great. You should do your own thing. And that's what I'm telling you to do when I tell you to live, dare to live your dream. I'm saying do your thing. But I would tell you something else. Do your own thing plus one. Do your own thing plus one. Did you ever think what a great country this would be if everybody in this country decided to do one thing more for somebody else? or for some other organization, or for some charity, or for some church. Just one thing. Think of what would happen in this great country if everybody did their own thing plus one. So dare to live your dream. Do your own thing plus one. Well, General, on behalf of all these students, we thank you very much for this opportunity to be with you. It was a real treat, and we wish you the best. Thanks, John. And let me, let me just say thanks to all of you because, you know, I love to do this. You are the future of America. You're it, not me. I'm old news, okay? I, I'm over the hill. I'm old news. I'll do very little to affect the future of this country, but each and every one of you here will be part of the future of America. So thanks for being here today, and, and just go on out there and remember two things. When placed in command, take charge and do what's right and America will be in great shape. So thank you all for being here. I applaud you.